0: Alright, well, it's a joy to be here with you this morning, or I guess this evening, um, and uh, we've been learning the last couple of weeks from Proverbs, and uh, this is a book packed obviously with Godly wisdom. Um, it's a guide for our life that honors God, and it's uh, principles that help us think with wisdom. Uh, last week we learned about our wise words, uh, how we can communicate with one another, how we can communicate with our children uh, wisely and timely. Um, This evening, we'll be looking at some of what the Proverbs has to say about godly friends, how we can be good friends, how we can um, draw or or, uh, pull good friends towards us. Um, Because who we choose as friends in our life has great consequences. Uh, Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. So your friends can help make you wise, or they can contribute to your downfall. Uh, And they will inevitably have great influence over you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, do not be deceived. Basically, this is something that people could be deceived on, is that their friendships don't have that big of an impact on you. But he said, don't be deceived, because bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 22:24 24, 25 says, Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. But thankfully, Proverbs lays out for us some qualities to look for in our friends. These characteristics need to be applied both to us and how we extend friendship to others, and also who we seek out as companions for ourselves. Um, these are also directly applicable to us on how we should shepherd our children to look for in a friend as well. So if you'll turn to Proverbs 27, we'll spend the majority of our time there uh, this evening. Um, and as you're turning there, I don't know, I think everybody has seen the Lord of the Rings, but if you can imagine Frodo making it to Mount Doom without Sam, it's just no chance that that would happen, right? Frodo. Would have failed for sure. And rather than the ending that we get in the book, you would have law everywhere and black writers destroying everything, and Sauron's eye would be looking very meanly at uh, you right But Frodo was successful, and everyone lived happily ever after, and they floated away on that boat like at the end, but but Frodo's success was because of his friendship with Sam. And if you think about the mission that we've been given to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We need each other. We need godly and good friends in our life to be successful in our mission. And Jesus understood this. In Mark 6, 7, it says that he gathered the 12 and began to send them out in pairs to minister. So he sent them out as pairs or as friends. He did this again in Luke 10:1 when he said he sent out the 70 disciples by two as well. So he sent them out as friends to accomplish a goal. Practically speaking, he could have sent them out one at a time, and they could have covered more ground. But he knew that they would be more effective together. We see this played out in the book of Acts too, the first couple of chapters in Acts 3 and 4. Uh, We see Peter and John ministering together, uh, very boldly together, where they might not have been as bold uh, by themselves. Uh, Paul had Silas, and he had Luke, that were consistent, loyal friends to him. Um, And we see Paul at his lowest in uh, 2 Timothy 4, when all of his loyal friends were sent elsewhere, and his fair-weather friends had all deserted. Uh, so the Christian life will be inescapably hard. We're promised that. Difficulties, trials, tribulation. So whatever your life looks like, and for many of us, that means that we're right in the midst of parenting the next generation of men and women who will lead the church. Which, if you think about it, is kind of a daunting task. Kind of scary, too, depending on how your kids behave. But, However, we are carrying out the Great Commission. Whether you're embarking on a, a mission trip, one-way trip to the Peruvian jungle, or we're raising our two-year-old in the training and admonition of the Lord, we need friends amongst us to help us. And regarding that point, Ecclesiastes 4, 9-12 says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. They can get more done together. For if either of them falls, one will lift up his companion." But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. So life is better, or lives are more fruitful, with biblical, good friendships. And our friendships need to be based on more than just a mutual love for a sports team or some superficial fun that we have together. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we need to have good, deep friendships as well. And this evening, we'll be looking at four characteristics of a godly friend in the book of Proverbs, so that our friendships can better sanctify us together. So the first characteristic of a good friend, here from uh, Proverbs 27, is that a good friend uh, brings wise counsel. So if you look at verse 9 of 27, it says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. So these verses equate two things here. They equate, equate the glad heart and the sweetness or the pleasantness or the agreeableness of a friend. So the thing that makes the heart glad in verse 9 is the glistening oil on the skin and the perfume on the clothing. Which to us might seem a little bit strange to think about. When I think of perfume, my mind goes to the cologne aisle at the, in Walmart. Right? Which is more of a place to get a headache than a, a good heart. Right? Or a glad heart. I remember when Beth and I first met, around 1999 or so, for some reason I really thought that curved Cologne was just the best thing ever, right? Which it's not, Unless you're wearing it, then it probably smells a lot better on you than me. But, for some reason, I used to douse myself with this stuff. And I really have no idea how Beth wasn't completely repulsed by it, but somehow, you know, the tears in her eyes I thought were her overwhelming love for me, but it was just the chemicals in the cologne that was making her eyes grow. But the truth is that not all perfumes and oils are equal. And in the ancient world, perfumes and oils were some of the most treasured items that you could have. You recall that they were brought from far away as gifts to Jesus, the King of Kings, the birth of the King of Kings the wise men who came to worship him brought, brought gold and frankincense and mark. It was a very, very valuable commodity. Um, in, in 2 Kings 20, we read about King Hezekiah. Right? He wanted to show off his wealth to the Babylonian envoys, and so he brought them into his treasure room, and he showed him how rich and prosperous he was because of all the gold that he had, his silver and his jewels. He showed them ornate weapons, and then he took them over where his oils were. Right? That's where the real wealth was. And they were impressed because it was an expensive luxury item brought from four, all the corners of the world, and were very necessary. They increased the quality of your life. They were used medicinally for ceremonial cleansing, for hygiene. We, don't, we shower every day. We didn't do that. and so those things were used, to, you know, for, for washing and, and hygiene to protect from the dry heat, the bright sun, and like sunscreen we have but they greatly increased your quality of life and they made the heart glad, and in the Proverbs, in this particular proverb, it's likened to the sweet and agreeable friend. It was the oil that, and the perfume that gladdened the heart, and it's the the friend that is sweet. And what is it that makes the friend sweet? It's his counsel, right? There is actually, if you look in the Hebrew, there is a, a adjective here, um, before counsel, and it is it means passionate. So if you have an ESV Bible, it renders this earnest counsel. So this is not the counsel that we get from our friends. Good counsel is not disinterested. It's not flippant advice. But rather, it's good, earnest, heartfelt counsel. And it also can greatly increase the quality of our life because counsel is very important. Proverbs 15:22 says, "Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed." And if we think about, think about it, we really want our plans to succeed, don't we? Plans at this stage of our life directly apply to our family, raising of our children. And the point here is that there's a great value in the advice, good advice of a good friend. Because we have a limited time and a big responsibility as parents of our children. And many of the problems and the things that we'll face every day are things that we've never faced before. Right? I mean, should we both work should I take a different job to be more involved with my family? Questions like how do we educate our children? How do we discipline? Music and entertainment choices. Whether or not to sit through Sunday school or Sunday service or take your kids to children's church. How and when to start devotions with your little ones. Good, heart-probing questions. All of these questions that we all have, we need to have a wise counselor to take those to. Um, I recently actually sought the help and the advice of a very wise, and the wise counsel of a good friend in this room regarding parenting my children as they're reaching the teen- teenage years of my older kids, and this is new territory for us. And it was just great to have a, a wise friend to be able to go to and, and get some good counsel from them. So success and holiness in life, and success and in parenting, are easier found with friends able to give us wise counsel. But the thing is that we need to be able to give wise counsel as well. If we're going to be good friends. So we should be prepared and saturated in God's word, ready to offer wise counsel to our friends. But we need to give it carefully. Anthony Salvaggio describes the, the friend's wise counsel as being selfless and sincere. It's guidance that has the friend's best interest at heart. It's neither trite nor offered in haste, but it's thoughtful, wise, godly counsel. Always in keeping with scripture and shared after the appropriate reflection and expressed with genuine concern. And finding a friend able to do this is rare. So it's compared with perfume and incense. They're both very precious, they're both hard to come by, and they should all they should both be very cherished when found. And this also helps us as we, we are, you know, seeking counsel as we try to shape our character together. If you look at verse 17 of Proverbs 27, this is a proverb we're we're probably familiar with, but it says, Iron sharpens iron, and so one man sharpens another. We all need to have our character molded and shaped closer to the image of God. And the biblical model for growth is discipleship. Close friends, opening the word of God together, allowing it to sanctify us. And that kind of leads us into our second point, which is found in verses 5 and 6 of... Proverbs 27. And the second quality or characteristic of a good friend is that they have candor. Or they're open, honest, and frank with us. So, verses uh, 5 and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So we go now from a comparative proverb we just looked at to two verses that contrast things to explain that a good friend is willing to be to say the hard thing for the betterment of their friend. So if you look at verse five, open rebuke says there is frank and honest criticism, but it's not fault finding. While hidden love is the a love that's too timid or too afraid to speak up or to admit that that saying the hard thing or reproof is a part of genuine love. Alan Ross says that a, a love that manifests no rebuke is morally useless. He goes on to say that one might even question whether or not that friendship is sincere. John MacArthur has a quote that says, Love without truth is hypocrisy. If all we're doing is is, um, flattering our friends, we're not not building them up, we're not ever speaking truth into their lives, we're hypocrites. And one of the essential elements of being a good friend is being able to be frank, to be able to correct, admonish, possibly rebuke a companion when necessary. Again, we have the same idea in verse 6. It says the wounds, and notice the word there, the wounds um, inflicted by a friend are faithful. Right? The wounds, these are painful things that are said. They might be painful for the moment. The word means a bruise, right? but a bruise will heal right? So the Bible says that that person is a trusted friend because they are willing to tell you when you're off the narrow road. The question is, when should this reproof be given? Um, And particularly, or necessarily, it's when a friend is in sin or starting to stray from the path. A good friend will not let a friend slowly drift into the fog of of sin. Sin is something that God hates. It's what put Jesus on the cross. And to say nothing to a friend that is slowly drifting into sinful behavior is not loving at all. Proverbs 25.12 says, Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, and therefore therefore fulfill the law of Christ. So in context there, the burden (coughs) is the trespass that your brother is in. It represents any sin or temptation that they're having a hard time or, or having trouble bearing with on their own. And a good friend will recognize that. And they'll go to them and they'll call it what it is and they will walk alongside them uh, and bear with them as they uh, are drawn back to the path. But the idea again is that you're willing and able to approve a friend lovingly and gently to speak candidly with them. Not that we're sin sniffing. Waiting with bated breath to jump at the chance. That's not a good friend. You're willing to be frank, but you're never harsh. And the writer of Proverbs actually says that we shouldn't necessarily expect thankfulness immediately upon our admonition. Um, Proverbs 28 23 says, He who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than the one who flatters with the tongue. So the two truths here that we can learn is one is that flattery is a trap. Being a good friend means much more than making a friend feel good, puffing them up with pride and ego. Proverbs calls that man a flatterer. In 29.5, chapter 29 of Proverbs, verse 5, it says a man who flatters his neighbor, or flatters his friend, spreads a net for his feet. So if you, if you flatter your friend, you're setting a trap for him. Because all it does is puff up. By flattering, you've made him so full of himself that he's not aware of any blind signs or blind spots. He's not aware of potential pitfalls in his way. And you're spreading a, a net to trip him because you haven't helped prepare him, you haven't helped equip him to properly deal with the temptations that will come. So we need to be able to speak with candor, not flatter our friends and puff them up. And we also learn from this verse that the appreciation for our candor may come afterwards. The flattering word of praise is pleasing for the moment. But the test of a good friend is being willing to speak candidly and truthfully. Even though we may not get the, the quick approval that the flattering word would. But it's more beneficial and long-lasting to your friend, and so you're willing to say what needs to be said. But the thankfulness for your candor may, may come after the dust settles on down the road. Or it may not come at all. But after the dust does settle. Or willing, and they see the truth and the faithfulness that you've shown, they'll be thankful and appreciative that they have friends willing to do that for them. But just to reiterate, reiterate I'm not saying that we never encourage one another. We don't build one another up, because we definitely need to do that as well. Those things are vital to the body. They're commanded in Scripture. So we don't go around tearing each other down, and pointing out all the sin in all of our lives. But we do need to be able to say something that needs to be said when necessary. So good counsel and a willingness to speak frank and honest are important characteristics for a friend. While a friend is searching for the correct path, a good counselor will give him counsel on how to find it. While on the wrong path, a friend will offer correction to draw his his friend back. But the backbone of a good friend is that they are constant and they are loving. By definition, a friend is available when needed and and they are enjoyable and comforting to be around. So the third, third characteristic is a friend is constant. Verse 10 of uh, well, Proverbs 27 says, Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. So mu- notice this is a multi-generational friendship that's been built over years and years of faithful um, stewardship of this uh, relationship. Do not forsake the friend, your own friend or the, your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Your brother's far away. You'll have a friend near that that you can draw. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. 18.24, the proverb says, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The constant friend in the second line there carries the idea of a beloved friend, specifically. And that, friend, will stick with you through thick and thin. It's described as adhering or sticking tightly together. The saying is that blood is thicker than water. But the Proverbs would not necessarily say that that is true. You think about David and Jonathan, right? and we have the example of, of very close friendships in Scripture like that. And in Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is constantly being assailed and, and pulled off of the narrow road by different temptations and persecutions and enticements, but he's able to stay and and finish the the race and get to the celestial city in part because he had faithful friends, named Faithful and Hopeful, that helped him. And we need friends like this in our own life. And we need to strive to be this type of friend, to be available when our friends need us, to get up in the middle of the night if if our friends need us, to be constant and available to help. Bruce Walkey says that the significance of friends is found in their quality, not their quantity. And progress places a very high value on a few, very close friends over a host of acquaintances. And this is even illustrated in the life of our Lord, who had 70 disciples amongst the multitude that followed him. And then, of course, amongst the 70, there were 12 very close disciples. You can take it a step further with the three that were um, closer still. Peter, James, and John. And if we took it one step further, you could say that John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, and was there when Jesus was the last disciple there at the cross. He stuck with Jesus all the way to the cross. And the first line here, if we get back to 1824 of Proverbs, the first line shows the dangers of a fair weather friend. So the word rendered friend here carries the idea of a companion or a fellow of my fellow Americans. You have an acquaintance, right? You have a, something in common, but the, it's not the same idea of a close friend. It's a different word altogether than the, than the word for friend used there in the second line. And one who has many nominal fair-weather friends will be ruined. The question is, why would that cause you to be ruined? Why would that shatter when adversity comes? It's because when we only have superficial friends to trust in, if we haven't, Um, taken time to really develop deep friendships will look around when times are hard or when things get lean, when you really need somebody, and they're gone. And you'll come to ruin, the Proverbs says. uh, Proverbs 19, 6 and 7 Many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is is a friend to him who gives gifts. But all the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? Pursues them with words, but they are gone. These companions pictured here are only available when there's something in it for them, when there's something fun to do. And when you need help, you cry out for help, and they're gone. You put your faith, hope, and your trust in fair weather friends, and you come to ruin. Proverbs 25:19 likens fair weather friends to a bad tooth or a lame foot, and a friend. Only there when things are good, when there's something in it for them, is not a friend at all. And we need to take the time, again, to develop deep, long-lasting friendships with men and women who are constant, loyal, and stalwart friends. And the fourth characteristic of a good friend is that they are loving. This might be the most important characteristic of all. They love you unconditionally. Um, you are glad and encouraged when they are around. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. If you look at this in the original language, at all times is placed at the beginning of the proverb to uh, emphasize to us that the love that your friend has is unshakable. Again, they're loyal. We just talked about that. It says that, that this man is born for adversity. They remain steadfast. And the actual idea here is that is that of purpose. Right? It's as if they were born for you to be there in your, at your time of need. That's how close that this relationship is. But in particular here, the friend loves at all times. Being a loving friend at all times, of course, as we've talked about, comes is, is a friend through difficulty and through certain circumstances, but it also includes the joys of life. To have a good friend to laugh with, share the joys and the happiness of life, is a wonderful gift for God. On earth, our closest relationship is our, is our spouses. Or our spouse, if we only have one. <laughs> but Anthony Silvaggio points out that typically, when the Proverbs speaks of a friend, they're speaking of same-sex friendships. Right? He says, as wonderful as marriage can be, men need male friends. And women need female friends. It's just that simple," he says. And this is, I'm sure, proven true in your experience. I mean, I have a friend who's willing to be candid with me. He's full of wisdom that's been extracted from the Word. and He's stalwart and loyal. Um, He's on more than one occasion confronted me when I needed to be confronted. And, not but, but and, there's nobody that I would rather sit and talk with and laugh with. And it is a cherished gift from God to be able to enjoy life together with good friends, to celebrate our successes, and weep together in our disappointments. C.S. Lewis noted that one of his greatest joys came through his relationships with male friends. He said, my happiest hours are spent sitting up in the small hours in someone's college room, talking nonsense or poetry or theology or metaphysics, which is something I stay up late at (laughs) night talking about (laughs) metaphysics. He said, there's no sound I like better than male adult, adult male laughter. If you look at Paul, he said to Philemon, his friend and brother, he said, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because, because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So a good friend is refreshing, right? So think about that long hike that you took uphill. And you get to the top, and somebody hands you a glass of cool water, and how refreshing that is to you. That's that's how a friend should be. As we enjoy life together, they're refreshing to us. And it's nice to have friends. They're gifts from God that bring love and camaraderie and laughter and joy. And it's just one more reason that we have to praise the Lord. So hopefully you have these types of friends in your life. You can share your life with, encourage you, and it's able to encourage, uh, encourage you and you can encourage them. If you haven't taken the time to, to really develop those relationships, I would encourage you to do that. Because in closing, the Bible, and particularly the book of Psalms, I'm sorry, the book of Proverbs, which we're looking at, has a lot to say about finding good friends. And they're a vital part of us doing life together. Um, because again, our mission is important and difficult, and the path is narrow and hard. And the Lord has given us a roadmap here in Proverbs to make it easier for us. And we can assist one another in our pursuit of a holy life together with joy. So, question, do these qualities exemplify you? Do you have the love to say the hard thing when needed? Do you have friends in your life that will do that to you? Are you loving and loyal at all times? Are you a student of the scriptures? Are you able to give biblical counsel to a friend when, when needed? These are all things that we should strive for, and they're also all things that we should look for in our friends, that they would exhibit these characteristics so that we can all glorify God better together. Uh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you, thank you for your word. The wisdom given in Proverbs. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had um, in your word, and Lord, we uh, are thankful also for the joy of biblical friendships, Lord, of good friendships that help build us up together, Lord, that we can share the joys of life with. Lord, I ask you would help us to pursue these godly friendships, Lord. Help us to shepherd our children to look for these qualities in the lives of their friends as well. Lord, we pray this, that you could better glorify you together as we we, uh, strive to uh, build one another up.